Welcome to The Vault. Tune in every week to unlock the marketing secrets of some of the fastest growing businesses. You'll hear practical tips, strategies, and case studies that will help you build incredible marketing campaigns for your business. And now, here's your host, Stacey Keogh. Today's guest will provide you insight into how you can generate your very own PR coverage with mainstream media. Kristen Marquet is considered one of the most sought-after PR experts in North America. She's based in New York City and is the founder of Creative Development Agency, which is an award-winning PR and branding agency for luxury brands in the fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle industry. Kristen has helped hundreds of businesses to generate media coverage. You only have to Google her name to see what she is capable of. She's the guest writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, Thrive Global, Huffington Post, Forbes, Inc.com, NY Daily News, and the list goes on. In 2015, she started Fem Founder, which hosts tons of free advice for startups on how to become prolific online. Kristen is also a two times best selling author with her books, Squash the Competition and Dominate Your Marketplace, and more recently, Publicity Jumpstart. In this interview, she talks about how she started her business and covers some top tips on pitching the media to generate your own free PR coverage. Sound interesting? Let's jump straight in. Hello, Kristen, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I wanted to start off a little bit today, uh, having you talk us through your background and telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, I'm based here in New York City. I have um, had my agency for about 10 years now, which is Creative Development Agency. In 2017, I created a spinoff company, which is femfounder.co, which is for more of the startup, you know, that is trying to scale to that first $100,000, $200,000 mark, because a lot of smaller entrepreneurs, you know, throughout the years have come to me and said, you know what, Kristen, we want to hire you, but we can't afford to spend five or $10,000 a month. So do you offer kind of like one-off ad hoc or a la carte services? And, you know, that, that's how Fem Founder came about. But um, before I actually started Creative Development Agency, back during the financial crisis, my first job out of college, I was a PR marketing manager for a law firm because at that point I was actually thinking about going to law school. And lucky I worked in that job because I figured out very quickly that I did not like the law at all. <laughs> Plus my husband's an attorney. So you can imagine two attorneys living together that are super argumentative and super, super stubborn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Probably not have made the best, you know, bedfellows. But anyway, um, then I, after I had worked for the firm for a year, I decided to leave that position. And I had worked as the public relations and corporate communications director for a large management consulting firm for three years. Well, actually almost four years. Then the financial crisis hit and guess what happened? All of our Northeast offices got shut down. Wow. So I had lost my job. And unfortunately at that point I had a decision to make, you know, do I try to find another high level you know, well-paying job in this really depressed economy, or do I start a business? And crazy me going against what everybody told me, you know, <laughs> I did. And, you know, I had a couple freelance clients, you know, when I first started, I had three. And then within six months, I scaled up to about 30 or 32 clients. Talk about 
lack of controlled growth. Things were just absolutely chaotic and insane. But, um, you know, throughout the years, I've learned how to manage that really, really elusive balance of clients ebbing and flowing, you know, which I think a lot like most service providers actually experience. Here we are 10 years later. I'm still trucking along, working with a wide variety of companies in fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. And then through Femme Foundry, you know, I worked with a lot of female entrepreneurs that are coaches and speakers and authors, and even some e-com businesses that are, you know, really trying to um, scale up their revenue. I love hearing that story because I feel like it's very common, actually. And actually, I relate completely because almost exactly the same thing happened to me. Really? Uh, yeah. I was working in, an, in a business and where the recession hit, I actually had three redundancies that year. And I thought, you know what? I need way more control of my career and my life and what I want to be doing. And that's actually what led me to starting my first business. So I can't, I love that story. And I feel like, you know, there's many others out there just like us who have also become, I don't know if the accidental entrepreneur is the right word, but have kind of, you know, had your back against the wall and then made a decision. And I think, you know, there are a lot of small business owners out there that don't necessarily make a conscious decision to actually start a business. It sometimes happens by accident. So I think, you know, you have a really inspiring story in terms of just going out there, doing your thing, seeing how it works. And obviously that's worked out so well for you. So you've just touched on so many things there that I want to dig into a little bit more. (laughs) You know, one of my questions was going to be about why do you decide to start the business? You've answered that in terms of you know, that happened to you with the recession and redundancies and and you kind of made that call. I guess I want to learn a little bit more about the journey. Like what was that transition like going from you'd worked for this big corporate agency for the three years and then you went into launching your own business where it can be kind of a lonely process and it can be really challenging because it's like, how do you go and find clients? How do you know they even want what you're selling? Like talk to me a little bit about, about that transition. It's actually really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, especially that are agency owners or freelancers can attest to, you know, making that transition from having a structured paycheck every two weeks and having, you know, health benefits and paid vacation and paid time off to virtually having no security and stability whatsoever. So for me, you know, somebody that really, really was averse to taking risks throughout my life entrepreneurship was a huge leap of faith. And initially, things were very unstable. And I just felt like my life was in a constant state of flux. It was really, really nerve wracking. And I would say more often than not, I actually hated it. And, you know, my then boyfriend, now husband, you know, him being a partner in a law firm, security was, you know, his primary thing. And, you know, I think that most significant others that have that type of, you know, secure job would have really pushed me to do the same, but he was very supportive. And, you know, no matter what I needed, he was there. If I needed him to help me with Facebook ads or email marketing or prospecting, you know, client proposals or blogging, anything along those lines, he always had my back. So it actually made the transition easier. When I scaled up to, you know, that 
32 client load. It was just, I mean, I was literally working around the clock. And at that point, I actually had decided to go back to business school. And, you know, I was at NYU and I was doing a part-time executive program. And so I was literally like not sleeping, you know, or sleeping two hours a night and exhaustion kicked in and, you know, a lot of things, my health and all these other things on the periphery really started to, to suffer. It was really tough. But once I got a foothold, a grasp of how to delegate, how to hire, how to outsource and how to just disconnect, things kind of fell into place. In terms of isolation, you know, and entrepreneurship being very lonely, you know, the first year it was definitely really, really tough. But then I had met this girl who owned a bridal PR firm. And interestingly enough, in Manhattan, she lived one block away from me. Our schedules were very similar and our lifestyles were really similar. So she would actually come to my apartment like, midday and we would hang out and we would just work on projects. And so I had her and then, you know, I had a bunch of other friends that had corporate positions that, you know, worked like nine to seven or nine to eight, which were, I mean, my hours were like (laughs) seven in the morning till nine at night. Yeah. I still had those friendships. So at least I always had people around and, you know, I had my husband, so I wasn't in complete isolation. But, you know, Femme Founder has really kind of taken on a persona of itself. And, you know, we have this community of really awesome business owners. And, you know, actually more men are starting to join the community. So it actually makes being an entrepreneur, you know, like a true entrepreneur, not that difficult or that lonely. You know, my co-author of Publicity Jumpstart, interestingly enough, she is based on the West Coast. She's based in L.A. And um, we actually met through, I think, a Facebook group or it may have even been through one of my old community websites. And, you know, here we are. And, you know, I, I hear that. Yeah, definitely. Being an entrepreneur can be lonely proposition. But at the end of the day, you know, if you have a community, whether it's online or, you know, in person to help support your efforts, it's going to make the process in your journey much more enjoyable. And I kind of wish that I learned that at the outset, you know, I didn't learn that to like a year in year, a year and a half in. One thing that I'm really curious to know is how you as a business So you've made that transition, you made all these connections through, you've mentioned Facebook groups, you had those couple of clients when you first started the business. How did you get from your three clients to your 32 clients? Like, how did that happen? What what, were you doing your own sort of marketing? How did that come about? Well, that's it. That's a really great, great question. And I get that question a lot from a lot of different agency owners. And for me, I would say the first three months, it was primarily referral marketing. So my first rounds of clients that I signed, you know, were really enjoying the results and the relationship, you know, that, that we had built. So they were referring clients to us. Then beyond that, you know, I started doing a little bit more publicity for the agency and for myself. And I even started doing some paid ads you know, it just kind of escalated from there. And now, you know, after several years of really studying the market and looking at where our strengths are as an agency, I know exactly where my clients are. 
I know exactly the messaging that we need to convey in order to get their attention and what the funnel process is like to really differentiate yourself. Because as an agency, you really are a commoditized business. You know, you don't have any intellectual property or proprietary algorithms that you can offer. So it really is about creating, you know, a unique story, creating something that is a little bit different from everybody else out there, whether it's, you know, your overall marketing approach or it's your messaging platform or whatever. But um, that's really what it comes down to for us is, you know, we know exactly where our people hang out, what messages resonate with them and, you know, how to filter them or how to funnel them through the entire funnel process. Fantastic. Yeah, I th- I'm glad that you've actually pointed that out because we have a six step process that often we'll go through uh, when we're working with agencies or clients to try to dig into who are they actually trying to connect with. So uh, the first the first part of that process for us is connect. And that's really understanding who you are as a business and then also who you're trying to connect with. So how for you in terms of, you know, you're obviously got a really good understanding now of the type of demographic that you're going after, where they hang out, um, where they're spending their time, you know, what they need, probably what their problems are, how you can solve those problems. I mean, how how do you go about uh, defining that that profile or that avatar for, for your business? Was it trial and error? Did you go out and, and do market research? Uh, do you base it on a, a real client of yours? I'm, I'm really curious to understand how you've learned to understand your clients so deeply. It's interesting because initially the, the one thing that I did do, which actually was one of the biggest mess ups in my, you know, entrepreneurial journey was, you know, in the beginning, I tried to cater to everyone. So, you know, it was doctors, lawyer, it was anybody, fashion, beauty. And I said, what the hell am I doing? I said, you know, the overall identity of the brand is really getting distilled and essentially we have no identity. Mm. So I did an assessment and I looked at what our strengths and weaknesses were opportunities and threats. So I did a simple, you know, SWAT and I looked to see who my competitors were serving and essentially how I can serve them better, you know, not for a cheaper price, but offer more value And after looking at the overall ecosphere and our brand positioning critically, I figured out that our strongest contacts and uh, just our overall strengths as a team and an agency lie within fashion, beauty, lifestyle. You know, I mean, a hundred million years ago, you know, I was a fashion model. So I grew up in that you know, kind of, yeah. you understand that industry. And I think it just kind of, you know, carried through to who I am today. And recently, I actually became a partner in a modeling agency here in Manhattan, a boutique modeling agency. So just kind of this thread of fashion is now being woven through my entire professional fabric. And it's really interesting, you know, uh, I mean, I never thought in a million years that I would be here or kind of working in the industry, especially, you know, when I was in college, because I was thinking, well, when I graduated from college, you know, I was thinking about going to law school. But actually, when I first went in, when I was a freshman, you know, my intent was biology. 
to be an MD. Like, I mean, that's what I was conditioned to be my entire life. You know, my parents were like, you're going to be a doctor. And, you know, I went to an engineering school and, you know, (laughs) I was just like, yeah, I don't want to be a doctor as much as I love science. You know, it just, it wasn't, wasn't my thing and neither was the law. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how your passions and your strengths evolve you know, over the course of a decade or 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting to know that you've, you've tested out a lot of, that, that's some pretty varied industries right there. So <laughs> I think it's good to test stuff out though, because I think, you know, you obviously haven't been afraid to, to go and look at, you know, look at science or look at law or whatever, realize that's not right. And then made a conscious decision to do something else, which I think is really brave. And I think it's something that I can imagine a lot of people get stuck in a position where they feel like they're heading down one direction or and then feel like they've got too far to maybe make that pivot and to change you can definitely see where that sort of entrepreneurial spirit comes out i guess where you're just willing to take that risk and try something new which i think is really cool i love that you mentioned that after doing your SWOT analysis that you then decided that you wanted to focus in on the lifestyle the fashion all of that which actually it turns out you did have a little bit of background in that too again what would you say to people that are going too broad that don't have a i would say niche you would say niche <laughs> that's where right. our accents are going to differ a little bit but you know there are many business owners out there they want to put their businesses out there to serve anybody and i think i guess maybe just give me your opinion on that it took me a very long time to understand this, but you know, my dad was a very successful entrepreneur, you know, business owner before he retired. And, you know, he would always tell me, you're not Coca-Cola, you're not Pepsi Cola, you don't have a hundred million dollars to spend on institutional like marketing and advertising. So as a small business, you need to, like you said, niche down. And the way to do that is to be the obvious choice in your market. If you are not the obvious choice, you haven't niched down far enough, right? Let's look at the agency world, okay? Because we're both in the agency world. If somebody owns a small marketing, digital marketing or advertising agency, and you're trying to figure out what industry to serve, and you're thinking about possibly doing lifestyle, you need to niche that down like two or three more times. So lifestyle could be what aspect? It could be fashion, beauty, health, wellness. So once you kind of figure out what that subcategory is, then I want you to niche down two more times. So if you're going to do fashion, look at e-commerce. If you don't want to do e-commerce, look at accessories. And then from there, niche down even more. Do you want to do mass market or do you want to do luxury? So, I mean, it really is that simple. And I think that a lot of businesses kind of go through that really painful exercise of, am I too broad or am I going to be too narrow? And if you see people online, you know, searching for certain keyword terms, I mean, you know, as an SEO expert, you know, if there's a certain number of searches that are done every month on Google or another search engine, then you know that that could be 
a possible viable market. Yeah, for, for sure. I think that's great because I still speak to a lot of businesses who are afraid to do that, to narrow down. They get concerned that they'll miss out on business and don't look at it from the other side, which is you could get all the business in that market if it's niche enough to become that go-to business or, as you said, be the obvious choice because you deal with that industry so specifically, I think is a really good piece of advice. Um, and I hope that, you know, business owners listening to this actually consider that and decide it shouldn't be a challenging decision, but to make that decision to actually niche down and, and focus on a really, really small demographic. It's not to say that you'll never broaden that and that you'll never work with anybody else in any other industry, but it does mean that you'll at least attract business to yourself rather than allowing it to go who knows where. I want to talk about you're very prolific online. Obviously, you you know you teach PR. You can see you know all you have to do is Google your name and, and you are everywhere. So talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you've guessed rid of, you know your entrepreneur.com, Thrive Global, Huffington Post, Forbes, Inc.com. The list goes on. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. How do you get this coverage and how do you utilize it in your business as part of your marketing pipeline? Great question. So if I am not doing myself or doing any of my businesses, any marketing. And if I'm not out there, then how are my clients going to trust me to get them out there? That's one thing. So having columns on Inc and Forbes and Entrepreneur and Thrive Global and being featured in all these different online publications is just a, a way for me to demonstrate our relationships and our strength areas, right? Areas of strength. If I, like I said, I mean, if you were to Google me or one of my businesses and there was just like a Twitter handle that popped up, who's going to take me seriously and who's going to trust me? So that's the one thing. The other thing is being in the PR space, pretty much my entire professional life, I've cultivated relationships with journalists at all these different top tier media outlets, which makes it easier for me to contribute to these different publications. So that's the first part to your question. The second part is I leverage the the power of the PR that I've generated for myself or for one of my businesses simply through letting potential clients know that I've been featured here, 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 and here. Here are links to an article that I wrote on Forbes or Inc. Here's an interview I did on the Huffington Post or Good Day New York. And just really letting people know, you know, we are credible. I am credible. I've been doing this for 15 years. I really know my shit. And if you want to work with us, great. If not, that's fine too. But um, like I said, I really like to use publicity to demonstrate what it has done for me, what it can do for my particular clients, and also just letting them know the relationships that we have. What if I don't have those relationships? What if I'm a small business owner and I don't have those relationships? What are my options? What am I able to do to try to get myself some publicity? Okay, great question. And that's generally the first question that I get from potential clients through FemFounder that are looking for PR coaching. Well, the first thing that you want to do is you want to figure out what makes your story newsworthy. Once you figure out what makes your story newsworthy, then you need to figure out where your story can fit. Is it going to fit in New York Magazine? Is it going to fit in The Sun? Is it going to fit in, you know, 
Vogue uh, entrepreneur, once you have your list of places that your story can possibly fit, then you need to research what editors cover those beats or topics. And once you've figured out that Jane Smith at entrepreneur.com is the, you know, articles editor, the contributors editor, then you want to read her column and you want to see the types of different stories that she publishes and the different types of contributors or guest contributors that she manages. And once you have a strong sense of what each publication covers and each different editor covers at those different publications, you know, the tone and the style of writing, then you can draft your pitch. And you could actually figure out the editor or the journalist's contact information on Twitter or LinkedIn, or you can even look on an online masthead to figure out who the right person is. I mean, you really, Google is one of the most wonderful PR resources that's free. There's no reason to purchase access to a media database if you are a small business that's only generating, you know, a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year. You can find all the resources that you need through conducting a simple Google search. Perfect. Again, I'm making assumptions about what small businesses do, but I, I know for myself, even at the beginning, the early stages of ways that I might go about things, you know, I might just think, oh, you know, I would I'd love to be featured in a website like this or a magazine like whatever. And find the person's contact information and just go in for a straight pitch. But I love that you've mentioned there that you got to really put the work in. You really got to understand that editor. You got to understand what they're interested in featuring. You got to find your unique angle, like what is really interesting about you and or your business and making sure that you're tailoring your pitch to that particular publication. I think that sounds obvious now that you've said it, but I don't know that many people would necessarily think that is when you're first starting out. So yeah, that's really good advice. What's the next step for people after that? I mean, how, I guess, I always think about law of averages, you know, I think it's really easy to take if you didn't get a response, for example, from an editor, or if they responded and said no, what are the, what are the law of averages in terms of how many no's would you expect before you get a yes? I mean, it really is so dependent on the company and the time of year and the angle that you're using. So I mean, really is no definitive benchmark or average benchmark. I can't tell you how many times I've pitched a client, let's just say to 10 different publications over the course of a week. And, you know, I've gotten two responses. And the next week I end up pitching another client to another 10 publications and, you know, I get five responses. I mean, it really just, you never can tell, you know, the best advice that I can give is expect to get a lot of no's. When you send your first email, wait like three or four days, follow up. If you still don't hear back two to three days after that, follow up again. And if you don't hear back after the third time, then it's time to leave it. Yeah. And then maybe you can pitch another journalist or editor at the same publication with a different angle, but you don't want to pitch the entire newsroom at once because that's a surefire way to, to piss them off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I imagine they're getting thousands of pitches a day that, you know, it's not necessarily something you should take offense to if they're not interested in your story, but it's also, yeah, you don't want to be that annoying, nagging <laughs> 
person that's coming off a little desperate with the volume of emails chasing them up and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, that's good. So I want to talk about your books because you are now a published author or two times published author. And I'm really curious to know, one, how that process has been for you, but then also how do you leverage that? What does that do for your credibility, your authority? Um, Does it generate you business? You know, what's the big motivation behind publishing a book? So the first book, Squash Your Competition, Dominate uh, Your Marketplace, that actually came out in 2015. My motivation for writing that was to give small business owners pretty much just a very condensed version of how to start the PR process. Give them some templates that they can use to start it, essentially, without hiring a PR person or hiring an agency. That book actually did really well. You know, it hit number one the first two weeks it was released in the different categories. You know, I sold several thousand copies, so that was cool. I actually was pitching this beauty client back in 2015. Big account, you know, is actually still with the agency. And I would say it's probably like a hundred million dollar a year company based in California. And that book that I had written and published actually sealed the deal for them to sign with us over all the other agencies that they were interviewing. So amazing. So it gave you that point of difference and level of credibility, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was able to use that same credibility to secure, you know, speaking engagements and guest lecturing at NYU and that type of thing. Now, the most recent book that Michelle and I wrote that actually just came out two weeks ago or two and a half weeks ago, that book, I mean, we got, we offered it for free for the first 24 hours and we got thousands of downloads. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you um, how wonderful that was. And all of our entrepreneur friends shared it and, you know, it was just a really great thing. Now, in terms of this particular book, for me, I've actually landed two speaking engagements because of it. And, you know, the week that the book came out, I mean, I did dozens of interviews, you know, did a TV spot. And Michelle actually leveraged the best selling title to get a TED talk here in New York. So she's going to actually be coming to New York in the fall and staying with me. So you can use the book as a way to book more clients, you know, get speaking engagements, do television segments, but it really comes down to making sure that you have a really nice presentation and that you're actually out there letting the world know that you've written this, this great book. And the other thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be 100% grammatically correct, but it needs to give the reader a blueprint or it needs to provide value. And, you know, that's, that's essentially what publicity jumpstart does. And, you know, it took us four months to write that thing. I love that. Yeah. So the book publicity jumpstart, cause I don't know that you've mentioned the name just yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. I, um, I, w- I downloaded a copy myself. Obviously, oh, you when did? I, did, I did. I received your email as it came out. Um, I think it's incredible. I mean, you've been, you know, that's been out two weeks at this point and to have got that amount of coverage, I think is 
amazing. The reason I bring that up, I, I've actually just written a book myself <laughs> with my publisher oh, at the moment. Goodness, so, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that'll well, we're probably about twelve weeks just going through a second edit at the minute. So um, a little while away, but it's one of those things that I do speak to a lot of small business owners or entrepreneurs who think about writing a book and. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's trying to decide, uh, and it's a, it's it's one of those things that you don't get you don't get credit for ninety nine percent of the work, right? You have to complete the entire project. You have to write the book, get it edited, get it published. You know, until it's out there in the world, it doesn't do anything for you. So I know for myself, like I've thought about it for for years, and I've never really done anything about it. And then um, earlier this year, it was just one of my goals for this year, and I did, I spent like a good three or four months writing it, and now it's been another three months of beta readers and editing and all that kind of stuff. And we're still probably 12 weeks away from publication. So that's a, it's a big commitment. And it's a lot of hours and a lot of work. Obviously, we, I don't see the benefit of that at all yet. So it's really, really nice to hear that there's potential there in terms of what we're able to do with it. I really wanted to get your insight in that because I know that there are a lot of people within our audience who are thinking about writing a book or in the middle of writing a book. So that's great to hear, you know, give them a little bit of encouragement that it can go somewhere. And if you know how to leverage it well, uh, which obviously you do, because this is an area that you specialize in. So uh, (laughs) that's very, very good to hear. I'm pleased. So just before we kind of wrap up and we let everybody know sort of how they can get in contact with you and learn a little bit more about what you do, do you have any kind of final comments or pieces of advice that you could give to either startup businesses or some of those smaller businesses who are in that position where, you know, maybe they don't have the budget just yet to work with an agency, but what kind of things could people be doing now right from the beginning to ensure they're setting themselves up to try to get the best media coverage or publicity for their businesses? Yeah. So you want to make sure that you have your website and your social media portals in place. You know, you want to make sure that everything is aesthetically pleasing. The brand is cohesive. You want to have, you know, your professional photos taken so that you can put them on your website and you have them on your social media. So that's the first part. The second part is, once you have the the brand online solidified, then you can start to look into the PR side of things. But in order to do that, you need to know what makes your story different. And you also need to essentially think about what are you going to do for an editor or journalist? How are you going to make his or her life easier, his or her job easier? You know, it's not about you. Nobody gives a shit. It's about the value that you can deliver to that media professional's audience. And it's really that simple. You know, you want to make sure that you have your brand in place, your photos in place, your social media portals up to snuff. You have a cohesive look, you know, you have your messaging points tight. And then once you, you know, you've done that groundwork, then you can start to build out the infrastructure for your PR campaign. So where can we learn more about this? How can we connect with you? How can we get involved and learn a little bit more about what you do? Talk me through, you know, the best ways for our audience to get in touch. So creative development agency, we kind of work with bigger brands, you know, that are looking to scale. So, you know, those are, we actually work with more like mid-sized businesses through the agency, whereas Fem founder, we work with smaller businesses, you know, whether it's somebody that is trying to start a side hustle, 
you know, and only has $2,000 to spend, you know, on startup costs to everybody that is, you know, looking to scale to that million dollar mark. But um, yeah, Femme Founder is definitely the smaller solo entrepreneur target audience. Fantastic. That's great. We'll link to all of that in our show notes. Uh, and we'll also link to all of your social media profiles too, so that people can check you out online and see what you're doing, give you a little Google and check out all the work that we've been talking about, because it really is quite impressive. So thank you so much, Kristen. It's been really good to learn a little bit more about your story, to learn about how you got started and how you're helping businesses to achieve you know, the best brand image for them online and giving them that publicity. I think that's fantastic. And I can't wait to, to get to the end of your book because I'm about halfway through at the moment. So I need to keep going with that. So yeah, thank you so much for being here today. We really do appreciate having you here and sharing your advice. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. How fantastic were those insights from Kristen? Here are my top three attention grabbers from this episode. Attention grabber number one, be the obvious choice. I thought that was marketing genius. Don't be afraid to niche. Go in and zone in on exactly the type of industry that you'd love to work with. By niching into something really, really specific, you could actually become the go-to business in your industry. You'll become the obvious choice. You won't get lost in a sea of competition because there's nothing that helps you to stand out from the crowd. By niching, you will become the obvious choice. Genius. Attention grabber number two, stalk journalists. We all love a little bit of online stalking, so why not put it to good use and let it help our businesses? Figure out which publications you'd like to be featured in. Have a look at the journalists, the editors, the writers that contribute to that source. Read their work, understand the angles they like to take with a story so that you can put together a pitch to try to get yourself into that publication or to be interviewed by that reporter. Really, really good advice. Stalk journalists. Attention grabber number three. Practice what you preach. Seems so obvious, but Kristen has loads of her own PR coverage. She clearly knows her stuff. When you do a search for her online, you see her across all of these huge publications you know that if you were going to hire her, that she actually knows what she's doing. So practice what you preach. If there's something that you're delivering in your business, make sure that you do it yourself and that you're using your own products or practicing the the services that you're actually providing. It builds your authority, it builds your credibility, and actually just makes you far more likely to actually generate that business. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to check out Kristen online and head over to FemFounder to download her free five simple secrets to landing top tier media coverage. I look forward to you joining me next time. We'll be meeting another business owner who will unlock their vault of marketing knowledge and provide us access to the secrets to success in their business. You've just been listening to The Vault Podcast with Stacey Keogh. If you've enjoyed the show, she'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. And don't forget to head over to www.thevault.global for more free content that will help you build an effective marketing strategy.